0: I had a very strange childhood. had the worst case any doctor had ever seen.
1: My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. Contrary to what some felt like may be a time to slow down and reflect, the coronavirus quarantine has led many to a state of increased stress, depressive feelings, loss of purpose, and anxiety. And for those of us that are informed, that's the perfect recipe for burnout. And while we're focused on the invisible threat of a virus right now, the long-term implications and reach of burnout may be far worse. Today, we're speaking with an expert in Chinese medicine, a burnout coach, and the host of Fried the Burnout Podcast. She's on a mission to end burnout culture and sees stress management as the true medicine of the future. And with most of us facing more challenges than ever right now, she wants to teach you how to be more resilient, have more energy, and more fun. This is the story of Ending Burnout with Caitlin Donovan. And this is a topic, again, that I am just really thrilled to be speaking about because it's impacted me, and I think it impacts so many others. And of course, we're talking about burnout, and our guest today, Caitlin Donovan, is going to go into this much deeper about her own story, and I think that's where I'd like to start because you know your health, your story, I always like to talk about a personal story. So how did burnout impact you, and why is this so important that is your mission now?
2: And it is, I feel like even more than my mission, like it grows by the day as I continue on this journey. But when I, I, I followed all the rules to creating a good life. I went to a good school. I got the degree that I wanted to get. I got a job Well, I created a business in the field that I wanted to create it in. I originally started as a pre-med student, but when I was guided into Chinese medicine, even though it was scary and risky and expensive and all of that, I jumped in. I went to Argentina when um, just before my last year of my master's degree, and I met a Polish man who I was engaged to in six weeks and moved to Poland once I finished my master's degree, and I was practicing acupuncture in Poland. I was the very first acupuncturist in Warsaw, in, in the country really, to be working in a fertility center. Oh, wow. So I shifted that completely for, for the entire country because now there's a ton of fertility acupuncturists, most of whom I trained <laughs> which is really amazing. And I'm really proud of that. But what happened to me and what I didn't realize was happening was that I was so exhausted by the time I I worked at the fertility center for a while, then I opened a private practice. I had a three month waiting list. I was up to here with people all the time. And I thought that I had good boundaries and I thought that I had decent self-care. I was a stress management expert as is every acupuncturist because that's what we're designed to treat by nature. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And I, my body fell apart. Mm -hmm. My thyroid let go. I gained a bunch of weight. I was really angry every time my phone rang and it was a number that I didn't recognize because I was like, I do not have time for you people. Right, I and totally I totally
1: get that, by the way. And I think right. so many people get that. And we're going to go into some of these signs because that is a sign.
2: That is a sign. Quite
1: literally. But yes. yeah, continue on because this is fascinating.
2: And I was just sort of horrified. And I told, and at the time, um, I'll get to this a little bit later, but I always believe that burnout has a combination of internal and external causes. And at the time, I was not really looking into any of the internal ones because I was doing a life coach training, an apprenticeship with the top life coach in the country. Her name is Eva Blaschuk. She's absolutely incredible. And I was doing this training with her and I I felt like I was doing all the internal work. So I'm doing the internal work. I'm doing a job that I love. Like, I can't be burnt out. It must be Poland's fault. (laughs)
0: damn
1: Poland (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: it was definitely Poland's fault so I broke up with Poland and I told my husband we need to get out of here like I'm gonna consciously uncouple with your country because uh, it's making me crazy which is what I what I and I do believe it's part of it but it's not the whole story and so we transferred his, his job transferred him to Prague And we spent six years there. So when I got to Prague, my first sort of year and a half, I was healing. You know, I got my thyroid back under control without meds. I used my acupuncture and Chinese medicine. I did a bunch of supplemental training. I did some, you know, the dietary changes that I needed to do and the gluten and the dairy and all the things. So I got that all back in order. I lost the weight. I was kind of doing okay. And I was working 25 hours a week, seeing 40 ish patients. That's not. Crazy. I was making enough money. I had the ability to do pretty much anything that I wanted to do. And I noticed the resentment started creeping in again. Mm. And so I didn't have a full burnout the second time around. I didn't, really, I didn't get physically sick. I didn't have the physical manifestations so much. But I was exhausted to the point where I could barely walk up a hill for a few months period at, at one point. I was living a four minute walk up from the tram stop, and it was hill the whole time. And I would finish a sh- six-hour shift at the office, take a 15-minute tram ride home. So this is like, I'm home before two o'clock on a Wednesday. And Who has that life? It's magical. But I would have to stop two minutes up the hill because I was so exhausted.
1: So you had this change in environment. You changed the things you were doing, yet you were still suffering for burnout, correct?
2: Yes. Yes. And I didn't realize that it was burnout until... I read something one day online and I saw the word and I went, oh.
0: Yeah, and
2: that's oh, an
1: excellent segue to what I wanna ask you next because this word is, I think, used in so many different ways, right? It's it's like people like to use quantum physics to explain so much, but you know, it's such a broad term that everyone has a different definition of what it is and you argue about it. And burnout isn't a medical term in some ways, meaning in medicine, you're going to have to diagnose more. You don't come in and say, hey, I've been diagnosed with burnout. What do you do for it, right? You've been diagnosed with adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue, all the other things that I believe start with burnout, correct? So let's define for the listeners, what does burnout mean to you?
2: I'll start with the actual definition as it is accepted by the World Health Organization at the current moment. Because in June 2019, burnout was accepted as an occupational hazard,
0: Mm.
2: not a disease or not, you know, it's it's a series of symptoms that vary vastly from person to person, but The number one burnout researcher, her name is Christina Maslach, and she's been doing burnout research since the late 70s. So she's been digging through this for a long, long, long time. And she created something called the Maslach Burnout Inventory, which is a 25-question quiz to let you know, you know, basically if you're burnt out or not. Hmm. And the things that define burnout, according to Maslach's research, are physical and emotional exhaustion, which covers like everything that everyone's ever felt. Right. Cynicism and detachment.
1: Huge in today's society. Yeah.
2: And a feeling of a lack of impact slash accomplishment.
1: And that's a big one too. Yeah. Massive,
2: massive. And no, but those are such big things that even if we take number one, if we take physical and emotional exhaustion, that's, you know what this is like with patients, right? It looks different in everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. It looks different in everybody. In some people, this is gonna mean that your fuse is low and you're exploding in anger all the time. And in other people, it's gonna mean. Oh, there you are. You froze for a second. Oh, good. And in other people, it's gonna mean that they are so tired that they can't take on any new emotional information, so they become numb. So, and, you know, and so just this top one, we could add like probably a whole book of what the symptoms might be depending on the individual person and their tendencies and their things that happened to their life before that point. I often tell people that their burnout red flags are things that happen to them sort of naturally and happen to them at some point during their life where now they have a weakness for it. So if you went to Mexico every year as a kid and every year you got massive diarrhea, getting diarrhea will probably be part of your burnout story. Mm. If you got into a car accident and had whiplash at some point, probably part of your burnout story will be neck pain and headaches.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, so, so it's, a, it's the triggers of your past that come back in different yeah. forms, correct? And that's a yeah. huge kind of sign of any disease, really. Right. We see it at our medical center a lot that you have these reoccurring things happening in your life, correct, that were triggered yes. at some point. Exactly. And sometimes you don't even associate. You forget what happened back then. It is very hard to put the two together. Very hard. But then it comes back in these different ways. It shows up. You have the symptomology. You go into a disease state. And then it's trying to peel back layers of the onion to get to that, right? To get to that root cause, which can be difficult after years and years and years. Exactly. So you mentioned that this is a very personalized situation in in burnout, and everyone's going to manifest differently, which makes it incredibly hard to pinpoint what is going on. But what are some of the top reasons you've seen in your patient dealing with so many different people and speaking about it so much? What are the top reasons for burnout, especially in today's society where we have so much medical, we have so much information that we can utilize and help ourselves, and yet we're still suffering from this more than ever?
2: Yeah, I think actually that's a big problem for people because we have to remember that the average person is not reading at a college level, Mm. right? So we have all this information available, but that doesn't mean that your average Joe can interpret that information in a way that's going to be useful for him. And I think that's really important because most of the people that I talk to say, yeah, but you know, one day eggs are healthy and the next day they're not. And how am I supposed to know what to do? So if people can't decide whether or not they should be able to eat eggs, how are they supposed to interpret this like really advanced research that is complicated even for me? And I have a master's degree in medicine, you know, so like if it's hard, so I think that that's actually a problem and not, um, not a help, but The causes of burnout, like I mentioned before, always fall into two categories, either internal or external. When you look at Maslach's research, most of the things she's talking about are external. And most of the things that they're discussing when they're talking about corporate burnout and things like that are also external. So the external things are not getting recognition or praise for a job well done can lead to burnout because then you get a feeling of a lack of impact or accomplishment. And then that makes you tired because you're putting in all this effort to get nowhere, et cetera, et cetera. So that's part of it. Another part of it, perfectly honestly, is a bad environment. So mm-hmm. if you work in a building that is old, not taken care of, has fluorescent lighting, and you never see like any plants during your day, that can be a factor in your burnout. Right. Just a simple thing as just not having enough fresh air and having bad lighting actually really, really matters. And it sounds like superfluous to say, but it's not. It's really, really important. Another thing that leads to burnout externally is micromanagement. So when there's too much control, you're not given enough uh, autonomy. The word that comes up in the research constantly is not enough autonomy. When you don't have that and you don't feel like you have a, a great influence over your life and your job and your performance then you sort of give up like it just it breaks you down slowly and the last thing is very high expectations that are impossible to meet which is why burnout is talked about so frequently in the hospital system with our doctors right Mm -hmm. because they cannot do all the paperwork and see all those patients and bill insurance and do i mean it's not possible when i was in med school I did a course, not med school, pre-med. I did a course called the Sociology of, of Medical School. And the guy was saying that basically he was, gonna, he was expecting to be half dead by the time he finished school. Hmm. And it's like, how are we expecting doctors who we put through this crazy rigorous training 80 to 100 hours a week where they're sleeping in closets in the hospital, and then we're telling them that they're supposed to maintain that And people like me that didn't grow up with, you know, family that could support her financially, it would have cost me a quarter of a million dollars. And then I would have barely been able to afford between my student loan and my um, insurance, my malpractice insurance. It was like, you're, you're not even making money until you're 45. And by that point, you're so tired.
1: Right. Right? you set yourself up to fail in a sense, yeah. right? From yeah. the start, this type of culture is leading to burnout. This type, these type of rituals are going to lean to burnout yes. that leads to failure, which is disease, being unhappy, all of those things, which is exactly. all in the same frame. Exactly. And, and it's funny because I think that that approach has always been around medicine, right? Residency, you're working till you know, you, you're barely standing, you're pushing yourself, you're just grinding it out, right? but it's leaked into so many different arenas now. Entrepreneurship is this badge of honor if you could work 18 to 20 hours a day, right? It's about sweat equity and putting it all in in the beginning and not going out at all, sacrificing your happiness, they say. And people buy into it. And in in some ways, it's true. I get it. You can do a lot if you don't sleep, but you can also crash and become incredibly sick by the time you're in your late 30s, early 40s, and be chronically ill for yeah. the rest of your life.
2: Right. So. Which is exactly why I do so much work. My work is mostly focused on entrepreneurs. Mm. Because the external, the only external factor that falls into entrepreneurship, for the most part, is exactly the one you just mentioned, is culture. Yeah. That's yeah. the big one. But then, in entrepreneurship, almost everything else is internal, right? Mm-hmm. We're stuck in people-pleasing mm-hmm. mode. We have unresolved trauma that we're not dealing with, so that we so that has created behavior patterns that are not good for us. We created coping mechanisms that are not helping us anymore, and we have not taken the time to shift them. We are overgiving. We are perfectionists. We are, and we're wearing all the hats. And as a woman, we have a little bit of a different um, burden because this this was done in a study. It really makes me nuts. But as a woman if your husband starts a business, it is generally accepted that the wife will not be working in order to take care of everything in the home so that the male can focus on his business and put everything in and really do it. And you know, But as a woman entrepreneur, mm. you're expected to build your little business on the side in the guest room while your husband works full-time or your partner works full-time, and while because you're home, you should also you know, go grocery shopping and get the food made and get the laundry done and make sure the vacuuming is finished.
1: And the screwed up thing about that is it'll lead to both of you being burned out, right? Even though exactly. you're thinking this is helping because I get to do all the work, you could stay home and re-. Like, no, 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 you're both yeah. going to burn out and be resentful at each other. Exactly. And that's going to lead to more burnout and it's a vicious cycle. So I totally get it. And even backtracking to your comments of most of us work in an office space where we rarely have time to even get out. I know people, myself included, I'll say that eat lunch at their desk a lot, You know, find it incredibly hard to find even a minute to walk around or stand up and leave to just enjoy being outside, right? But I was reading this uh, book called Daily Rituals about the most creative minds. And it's really funny to see how these people who achieved so much had rituals of always going for a walk, whether it was rain, snow, anything. They would go outside. They would only work for two to three hours a day, really, very creatively, but then they would enjoy time with friends. They would enjoy time outside. They would do all these things. You could say, how did they find the time? The question was, how did they not find the time, right? Because the only way to keep their sanity, to not burn out and produce so much creative work was to get outside, was to be in nature, was to slow down so that they could speed up. And it's kind of like reverse psychology, right? It is this idea of, I have no time to do this. But if you make the time, you will then find you have more time actually to do other things.
2: Which is really hard for a burnt out brain to hear
1: it's incredibly hard, right? Because I know that I'm an entrepreneur, I'm running several businesses, I'm dealing with people all the time, you know, and I have a, you know, my Michael Hyatt focus planner in front of me with a to do list that carries on day to day. And I go, all right, today's going to be a busy one again. And it's like, you know, but I always schedule in morning ritual, evening ritual, even when I have 100 things still to do, and it's bugging me, I have to be able to detach because I realize. Burnout is right around the corner if I don't do those things. So I always tell people, it's not about if you could find the time; you have to find the time. Yeah, Otherwise, you have to create
2: the time. Even. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah. So, so we touched on some of those external things. You, you mentioned the internal things. With the internal, is there a genetic or a DNA composition here, or some kind of predisposition where some people will be more affected? I like to say some people are just more sensitive to things, right? I myself, I know I'm a sensitive person. I eat some things. If it's a little off, I feel it suddenly. Whereas someone else has that, I feel fine. I don't don't know what you're talking about, right? And I take information a little differently. Have you noticed that some people are predisposed to burnout?
2: I think that the answer to that is yes, but I don't know that it is from birth. Mm. I really truly believe that it happens in those first six years of life. And that phase of development where children are sort of stuck in hypnosis and downloading everything that they say, yeah, say, hear, feel around them. I think that the traumas that happen at that period of your life make you either more resilient or less resilient over time. Right. And that resilience is what will protect you from burnout in the long run if you have it.
1: Do you have parents as clients as well that you teach this to, or the, the kind of, you know, stress reduction techniques that can then carry on to children then?
2: I think that it's not even like a parenting thing. It's just an individual thing. My Mm. whole goal with, you know, I have the podcast, I am crowdfunding a book, probably by the time this comes out, the crowdfunding would have ended, but I'm crowdfunding a book called The Bounce Back Ability Factor right now, because I think that we need to start this shift internally. And when people do this individually for themselves, they'll be less likely to pass it on to their children. But we also have to understand that no matter what we do, you're going to pass on some sort of trauma to your children. And understanding that and then figuring out the tools you need to help them transform it is more important than avoiding it altogether.
1: Yeah, no, that's really well said, because I, I know we see a lot of patients that come in with a lot of physical you know, symptoms, and you have to address those too. But what's really at the cause of those symptoms is stress from childhood, relationships that they had, and until they address those with unique techniques, neuroemotional techniques, uh, psychoemotional techniques, you will always see those symptoms come back. And it's unfortunate because most doctors won't address that, right? And
2: don't believe it to be true.
1: Yes, that too. (laughs) And don't
2: believe it to be true. I had a patient when I was still in Prague who came in and she said that she was having migraines and she had two older boys and a younger girl as her children. And she was talking about it and talking about it. And I asked her if her mother had migraines because in Chinese medicine school, we learn this really frequently that migraines get passed down through the female line very often. So I said, okay, well, did your mother have migraines? Because sometimes migraine is a learned behavior that we choose that allows us to be alone. It's like the only time where you can say, well, I have a migraine. I need a dark room. It's the only time that there'll be Mm. space where you're totally left alone. But she felt really abandoned by this process when she was a child and she was afraid to be doing that to her daughter. I see. Right. I sat down with her in our very first session and we got into this. I don't even know how it happened. And I looked at her and I said, You are not your mother. Mm-hmm. She literally stopped having migraines that day. I did an acupuncture treatment, but.
1: Right. To go along with that, it, it helped right. with releasing that, correct? Yeah. The energetic blockages were there, but she also needed to realize that herself consciously, subconsciously, yes. had probably been running this belief system forever. Right until exactly. she truly addressed that cleared any energetic blockages at the same time you can't release that altogether fully. exactly right and it is a, I think a, a, an issue with many people um, that that can lead to burnout now I really want to get to the importance of this because a lot of people say all right you burned out you'll bounce back right you'll you'll reset you'll do everything it'll be fine but what are the long-term health impacts of burnout? Because I know I see it all the time and I could get into some serious conditions where it all started with burnout. And again, the correlation was just missed by conventional medicine. Yeah. But what have you seen?
2: I think too, in order to understand the answers to this question, we have to explain the basics of how chronic stress affects the body, Mm -hmm. right? Just the really simple parts, because I know that the two of us could probably talk about this for a week. But just to go over for people listening, the really simple things that happen and in my world, the way that I've seen the burnout research come through and the things that I've experienced in my patients and clients and, and myself is that long-term unprocessed stress will lead to burnout. So stress and burnout, not necessarily separate. You don't have to be burnt out if you're stressed, Mm -hmm. but if you're burnt out, you were stressed. Right. Right if that makes sense. So when you have that level of stress, even if it's a very low level, but it lasts a very long time, that can still end up in burnout. But what happens physically is you lose gray matter in your brain, your prefrontal cortex shrinks, your amygdala shrinks. So when those things happen, you have an inability to react properly to emotional situations into stressful situations. You lose your ability to transform the new stress that's coming into your life. So it just sort of bounces out of you in some sort of emotional way, whether it's crying or anger or whatever it happens to be. And you don't have the executive function, the logical thinking that will allow you to counterbalance the emotion that's coming up in your body, right? So this is a, this is a thing. So long-term that's anxiety, depression, mania, bipolar disorder, I mean, we could go on and on. So anything where the, the brain is not functioning at 100%, basically. Mm-hmm. Then we have an impact on gut bacteria. We, this has been proven over and over and over and over, right? You have stress, especially that's chronic, and it will change your, the, your gut microbiome, which will mean that you will gain weight and have issues with digestion, anything from loose stools to constipation to IBS to Crohn's disease to colitis to diverticulitis to, 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 to we could go on, oh, and and on and on and on and on, <laughs> yep. right? So this is pretty much anything that's happening in the gut in my mind always has a component of stress. And stress then, and then that affects what you're choosing to eat, which makes the problem worse and you're stuck on this cycle.
1: Right. And it, right. It, it really is a vicious cycle because I even remember talking to, and, and all of the impacts of stress that you mentioned. I was speaking to a doctor recently about SIBO, small intestinal yeah. bacteria, right? And he was going into that his belief after dealing with so many patients and seeing them get better is it all started with stress yeah. because stress activates the parasympathetic system parasympathetic i mean sorry, sympathetic, sympathetic. yeah mm-hmm. so your parasympathetic isn't going but when you eat you need to be in a parasympathetic state to cause right. the the movement of the intestinal walls otherwise they stay stagnant food sits there right you yeah. have an overgrowth it doesn't move it putrefies you have an overgrowth of this bacteria yep and it all started with you stressing, right? While you're yeah. eating. That's it. Listening to the news while you eat, yelling or something, walking, being, you know, answering emails, whatever yeah. it is, stress can be triggered by so little nowadays.
2: By so little. And we don't have a lot of white noise anymore, especially yes. since the invention of the like personal smartphone. Mm. We don't have quiet space in our worlds anymore unless we create it on purpose.
1: Right. So, how big are you on digital detoxes? major major you think it's absolutely necessary everyone goes through some sort of digital detoxes most people kind of like joke about it like i'll do it but then after an hour i just can't live without it's like well that that's not a good sign
2: no and i actually have a really big issue with this i'm totally attached to my phone i love my phone so i am not coming from like a pedestal over here telling everyone that they just need to like you know get over the dopamine rush that they get when they get a new Instagram comment, because that's, (laughs) it's a, there's a physical reaction happening. Like this is not totally, this is not totally your fault, you know? So, and I am definitely in the group of people that is very attached to technology, Mm -hmm. my phone, but that means that I create time in my life where I can't touch it for a week. For instance, my husband and I did an extreme cross country trip um, above the Arctic circle in Finland and you're there. It's negative. 13 degrees celsius so negative 25 ish uh no negative 25 celsius so about negative 13 fahrenheit it's windy your cell phone battery is going to die if you take it out and right. you're in the arctic circle like you <laughs> do not have internet access there are no phones like in Stop order to checking
1: risk- every five minutes <laughs> you
2: can't you can't even check it's impossible <laughs> right. because your phone will die because it's so cold the battery will die immediately and there's no connection anyway yeah like There's no chance of connection. So I put myself into scenarios that require me to be away from it because I have no other option. And as soon as the first day is over, it's like I forgot that I had a phone in the first place. Do not care at all.
1: Yes, yes. Don't care. I mean, and this brings up something I'm really passionate about and I will talk about also with you and on your podcast is is this idea of, for me, it's about resetting. But how do I do that? I travel. And I don't travel to places where I know are going to be like a beach and a resort. I do that too, of course. But I will travel to the middle of Jordan and do a nine-day hike into Petra, right? Which is amazing. But ain't no service out there. I mean, I have to put it away. You're walking all day. You're in nature. There is no choice.
2: Yeah, it's not
1: nice. You're sleeping out. You're you know putting up the tent. You're going you know to the bathroom in a little you know. Hole. You haven't
2: showered in three days, and you're wearing yes. the same outfit again.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know this isn't, but it is so liberating. Yes. Uh, my stress levels can't, just reduce so much. It was like yes. wow, and that was yes. just after a few days, right? Like you said, yep. my phone I couldn't use it. There's no service. Why even look at it? Yes. You know. So. It was just a way, and I have to say, if you're going through some major burnout, traveling's cool anyway, right? It's something to talk about. It gives you experience. Everyone wants to do it, right? But do it right in a sense, I say. Cut yourself off. Go enjoy where you're going. Really live it, and you'll see. Your stress levels will go so far down, so I'm so glad you brought that up because I always say travel isn't about just you know going someplace and relaxing. It could be strenuous, like you said. That must yeah. have been uncomfortable up there, in negative negative twenty something degree weather. It
2: it's, was strenuous, right? It's I mean, a we lot were skiing on... for four to six hours a day.
1: Yeah, that's that's incredible. Like cross
2: country skiing, four to six hours a day. Which that's that's intense. Really
1: tiring. Yeah, yeah, it's but that's a good feeling afterwards, right?
2: Right, which is tricky because I the when you're burnt out, I couldn't have done this when I was burnt out. Sure. It was it wouldn't have been possible because one of the things if we're going on like long-term health impact with burnout, one of the things that happens when you're really burnt out and really deep into chronic stress is that you have muscle atrophy. Mm. So you, when I couldn't get up that hill, I physically couldn't. I have exercised my whole life. I was a competitive gymnast. I was the captain of my field hockey team. I ran track. I've always been active. I mean, I friggin' went to the North Pole and skied my heart out. Like, and I liked it. I mean, I hated it sometimes too, but I liked it. And so being in a place where like everybody says, you know, get out, exercise is healthy, get out, exercise is healthy. But when your muscles are atrophied, you literally do not have the power do it so if that is the scenario for you and you just cannot physically keep up with yourself then you've got to go choose like a vipassana meditation retreat or some Mm -hmm. retreat where the focus is not necessarily movement but rest without your phone
1: yeah and and that brings up a really good point in i think a huge part of it and i'd love to hear your thoughts on it is understanding your body and who you are Right, because you could be listening to us and say, oh man, I want to go on a really you know, strenuous adventure now to the middle of Tibet or something, and climb Mount Everest. It's like, no, maybe you shouldn't because you could barely get out of bed. Listen to your body where it is, right? Work yourself up, understand that and understand the small triggers, understand the little things, the symptomology, understand when you get a little cold a little more, your immune system's lowered, right? So How much do you feel it is about understanding who you are and respecting who you are?
2: I think that you just brought up such a massive, massive discussion that we could do an entire new episode on Mm -hmm. because, for instance, just recently, uh, sometime last year, I had a surgery for an Achilles rupture. And following the surgery, I was put on pain meds and they said, please take them for at least three days because if, you, if this pain starts, you're not going to be able to handle it. I don't really love pain meds, so I was not really into that. But I said, okay, if I can do three days, then I'll stop and I'll just deal with it. So that's what I did. But those three days of very strong pain meds threw my system off for months. Right. Right. So, and I started having histamine reactions. Mm-hmm. So I went to bed one day, woke up the next morning, my face was like 3 times the size. I'm not I'm not joking. Like I was so puffy I couldn't I opened my phone to check what time it was and I couldn't open my eyes enough to see my whole screen. Wow. So I'm having this crazy histamine reaction and I at the time I just naturally I wasn't really thinking about it. We eat spinach almost every day at our house, like it's a very common food and I stopped eating it and I wasn't really thinking about it, but when you have, spinach is a food that has high histamine levels in it, so, or creates high histamine in your body when you eat it. So I was naturally doing this thing that was good for my body, but try telling someone that's trying to be healthy that spinach isn't good for them right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So we, we really have a hard time. And this is what you said in the beginning too, there's so much information out there. We really have a hard time sifting through the information that's good for our bodies because we have not been taught to listen. We have not been taught to listen to our bodies. We do not know what that means, really. Right. So it's like, is an egg good for you or bad for you? I don't know. It depends on you. <laughs> right. Like I'm not eating spinach right now. I will go back to spinach once everything calms down, but I can't have that right now. Lentils, one of my favorite food, very high histamine. Mm-hmm can't have them right now. And if you told somebody that you're not having lentils because they're not good for you at the moment, it sounds, you sound crazy. So what I want people to get out of this is your body really does know. And if you're doing things consistently, if you are quote unquote, doing all the healthy, correct things and you still feel bad, it's because they're healthy, correct things on black and white paper, not in your very colorful body.
1: Right. And that that that's a beautiful point because people like black and white. They like being tell, told generalized statements that this is healthy for you and this is not. And we do not live in that black and white world. And your body definitely doesn't. You're right. It's in the middle. It's the hundred shades of gray that really are all the colors <laughs> that make up the rainbow inside of you. Like you yeah. know, to put it in a cheesy way, but, it, but it, it's, it's true. very true, right? You've got to yeah. be so true to yourself that. You can look at the patterns out there of what other people are doing. Get inspiration from them, right? But to honor yourself is to just listen to yourself. That someone else did it this way and went keto and lost weight doesn't mean you will.
0: Yeah.
1: And it doesn't mean you have to follow everybody. Be yourself, right? Be really yeah. genuine and understand that and appreciate that. Yeah. And I think that's really hard because we as a society, the society want to be told what is right and wrong and yeah. what to do. Yeah. Instead of kind of figuring it out ourselves. Well, I get questions that I'm sure you do all the time, yeah. right? It's like, what do I do for this? You're like, well, I can't answer that truthfully. Like, I'd love to, but I don't know you. Like, there yeah. is no blanket statement here that'll work for you. Right. And that's true for burnout too, correct? It's
2: true for burnout too. And I think that the a really important... Part of burnout is that like tendency toward people-pleasing and overgiving. It makes it that much more difficult to listen to your body because you're so tuned in to what the needs are of the people around you that tuning into your own needs feels terribly selfish, even when it's not, but it feels that way. So they want a black and white list because they, it's so uncomfortable for them to be sending themselves that much attention and care and love. Mm -hmm.
1: But it's usually the things that make us uncomfortable that are best for us, right?
2: (laughs) Unfortunately.
1: Unfortunately, but once we get through it, realize, wow, that that really wasn't that bad anyway. Do you think saying no is a big part of this? I mean, I know I get that too. I get the guilt of like all these requests and everything. And I'm like, I don't have time, but I want to be nice. I want to network. I want to do all these things. There's FOMO, right? It's all these things, right? And you end up saying yes to probably too many things.
2: My husband calls it mother effing teresa syndrome.
1: <laughs> I like that. that. That should be the clinical name for it, right?
2: <laughs> right? And this is the pretty much the crux of everything that I teach and is the main focus of my signature talk that I do at corporate wellness events and things like that because we have there's a lot of information out there. About how to say no on the outside, right? There's lists of how to pro- nicely say no to people and how to, you know, put up your boundaries. And I think those things are massively important. And I think we need to practice them. And the, exactly what you said, I want to be a nice person. It's like welcome to burnout world. Like if. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about being a nice person, the only thing you're considering is your expectation of the other person's reaction, not wow. even what their reaction might actually be because you have no idea what their reaction will actually be, right? Right. So you're making decisions based on an assumption and that is controlling what you're doing in your life. Like It's totally not okay.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely
1: hate assumptions because I think that's the biggest like breakdown of communicate everything. And it just leads to stress that is unnecessary.
2: But being a person that says, I want to be a nice person. You can't try to be a nice person without making assumptions. Mm. You can't. Right. It's not possible. All you're doing in those moments are making assumptions about what someone will say, think, or feel about you if you don't give them the answer that you assume that they want. So you're making like levels, not even just an assumption, but levels of assumptions
0: Mm -hmm.
2: when you're trying to be a nice person. So I think that learning to say no is incredibly important. But the more important piece and the thing that I teach the most is learning where your own internal boundaries are and Mm -hmm. not saying yes or offering when you don't have the time, space, or energy, right? right. So like, for instance, I, I know this well, and I've created this as my signature talk because it was one of my main issues. My husband is Polish, and can throw a temper tantrum sometimes. There's a lot of anger in Polish culture, rightfully so. I understand where it comes from and the generational trauma and all of that, but he often reacts to things in a way that I find unreasonable which is not his problem, really. <laughs> like, it's not really his problem. But he was in the office one day, and he was doing something on the computer, and he slammed his hand down and swore in Polish. And immediately, I stood up from whatever it was I was doing I don't even remember what I was doing. And I went to double check if the modem and the router were working properly so that to make sure that his Wi-Fi was working well. He didn't complain about the Wi-Fi. He didn't say, (laughs) but I was fixing a problem for him that A, he didn't say that he had. B, didn't ask me for help with, right? This is the, you see your spouse or your partner or your child searching for something in the house and you go reach and give them a sock and they're like, I was looking for my hat. Like we're doing all this extra stuff to be considerate, nice people that people are not asking us to do that is not necessarily helpful. And that is a huge energy drain
1: Mm. on us. And that's the thing. It's about energy, right? Yes. It's it's, everything is energy. And we're talking about it on multiple levels, your own Mm. physical energy. We're talking from an energetic standpoint that we are all actually vibration free. And we're giving that away for no reason. No and we reason. only have so much, right? We're, that's we what we're only, doing. Yes, exactly. We're getting ourselves to empty, diffusing all our energy on what? On trying to be nice, right? I'm on trying, trying to, to be assume. nice.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I, I realized too that this crosses over also to inanimate objects. Mm-hmm right? So we don't just do this with people. We also do this with tools. I was ironing my husband's shirts, which I almost never do, but I was like, you know, he's had a really tough week and he has travel coming up and I just want to make sure he's prepared and do something nice for him. And so I'm ironing his shirts and I realized that it was like a Herculean task for me. Like I'm a strong person. I can bust out push-ups right now. And I was pushing on that iron like it was 1930. And I had to, you know, like, and I was like warming it up over the coals and then really putting gusto into it. I have a brand new iron. I just moved back to the United States and I was living in Europe. So I had to buy all brand new appliances because the plugs and the, you know, the hurts and all that. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: There is no reason for me to be putting physical strength into ironing a shirt. I'm just pouring out energy for no reason.
1: We have to be smart about that, right? Where yes. we put our energy because we live in a time where that energy is always being sapped, right? It's it's constantly. It is right now as we sit here, we're having electromagnetic that our cells are reacting to and spending some energy on. Yes. Even as we sleep, we're kind of trying to regenerate, but we're also losing some. Yeah. So it's like we have a leak in the bucket, but we don't want to keep exacerbating that and making more leaks. Exactly. And we're doing that either subconsciously or trying to be nice and then you know breaking down over it and, and all these things that are leaning to, leading to burnout. Now, how much do you also attribute it to our society's need to always want more, more, more? because there are a lot of people out there that are leading themselves, like you said, I had the money, I had the like, what am I doing, right? But I think we have this kind of, we look at some people having more than we do, and we say, all right, I wanna get to them. I know that's gonna be the long days and extra stress, but that's what I want. Why can't we be comfortable with enough and and forego the burnout?
2: Because we don't feel like we are enough.
1: That's it, right? We don't have the self value to say this is enough. Yes. And that's a, that's a problem because I think you see it more and more, especially with social media. I love, listen, I say social media is a tool. There is, there is no good or bad. I'm not going to, in the beginning, I said it was bad. (laughs) Too many trolls, too many, too much negativity, but now I'm on it. Understand this is the way we are. Like, I'm not going to change how most of us are. The way we're going, the way we want to share is different. We don't use rotary phones anymore. You know, we need (laughs) to get on with the times, but I also see that so many people on there are just looking at other lives saying, I want that, right? When that's not real, first off, (laughs) it's a facade. That person isn't truly always happy all the time and traveling nonstop. That's almost impossible. (laughs) And you can't put yourself up against that and then strive for it, but burning out because that's probably not even what you want, right? so how how do you deal with people like that? They're constantly on social media and constantly comparing themselves, wanting more. And that wanting of more is leading them to burnout.
2: You work on self, self-esteem and right. yeah, self-worth. There's no other way to get around that. And I think that this is a massive part of burnout, mm. not Are feeling there- enough. So constantly trying to constantly being in a state where you feel like you have to prove something to some unimaginable room of people when the the they, the they, Mm -hmm. whoever the they are that you're talking about, trying to prove it to them. For me, in my life, I grew up in a city in Massachusetts that is pretty drug-ridden. I didn't grow up with a lot of extra resources, but We were not on the low end necessarily of the city altogether. We weren't on welfare. I didn't have holes in my shoes. I always had clothes that fit me. I always had a winter jacket that kept me warm. I was never worried that we weren't going to have food or a place to live. So all of my basic comforts were covered. There was just nothing extra, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: basically. And I grew up with this idea that in order to be successful, I have to be able to take myself out of that city. And out of that scenario, I haven't lived there in 17 years. And I'm still, when I, my they is like people from my hometown Mm -hmm. who are really proud of me and really enjoy what I do. But I'm still, I still feel this need to say, you know, I grew up in kind of this really not great scenario, but I worked my ass off and like I did something with my, like I did something impressive kind of. And that's, that's a, that was a major driver for burnout for me because I was not, Focused on my my inherent value just as a human,
1: right? And that that all of us have, they right? It's the subconscious beliefs. It's all like you know there isn't a single person out there that isn't dealing with this, and that's also something you have to realize. You got to show yourself some kind of care there, and and not blame yourself or suddenly throw yourself into a guilt ridden negative state. Because we all have them, we're all human, even the people, the most successful, like motivational speakers, trust me, I've spoken to some, and they have it for sure. you know, they're dealing with a lot of ego issues, self-doubt, every we all do, yeah, and it's that understanding and being more careful with yourself and, and trying to show yourself more self-love that I think starts to take us into this place of respecting who we are not being so influenced by external things and being able to deal with the normal stresses of life and not lead to burnout. Yeah, now, I, I really, I, I feel like we've positioned ourselves to where most people like, oh man, I'm suffering from burnout. <laughs> I realize that now. <laughs> Some form, because we all kind of are, I feel. I mean, especially, yeah. listen, you and I both live in New York City. Yeah. Like if you're not, I, I find that weird. Like good for you, but
0: <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: most of us in a but little You're probably bit
2: lying. Probably,
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that lie will probably lead to more burnout, right? Because you got to carry that energy of that lie. <laughs> but what are some of the actual pieces? What are some of your secret weapons, maybe techniques that you're sharing? And of course, it can't be personalized because we're speaking to a whole here. But what are some of the things you're seeing that, that are going to help with people dealing with burnout?
2: For me, one of the biggest things is to make note of your resentments. mm Start a resentment journal and start noticing how often you're feeling resentful during the day because all of those places will show you where you are overstepping your own boundaries or not maintaining your boundaries so that other people can't cross them. Most of the time, it will be the former. It will be that you're overstepping. You know, you're if you're always the first person to raise your hand in the meeting room when the boss says a new task needs to be done, like you need to stop. Because you'll write down on your resentment list, I'm so resentful that I have this extra task to do and nobody's helping me with it. Well, you raised your damn hand. Stop (laughs) raising your hand, right? So making note of all of the times that we we feel resentful is a massively, massively huge tool to help us realize where our boundaries are, where they are not, and where they need to be. Mm -hmm. And without that, you can't protect yourself enough to heal.
1: Right. And that goes sort of to the idea of a gratitude journal, being aware of these things, even, you know, being grateful for the pen you're writing this with, right, mm-hmm. will switch you. But also being aware of what you're resentful about. That's pretty powerful too. Because unless you're aware of it, you can't address it,
0: right? You
2: cannot address it. And you cannot, I have not met too many people that are burnt out that feel really great about gratitude journals. Hmm, I sure. understand their power. hmm I have used it for years in my own life. I know that it is valuable. And I will also tell you that when I was burnt out, I was like, this is BS. Yeah. Even though I had had years of experience with it already, I knew how powerful it was. But when you are burnt out and your brain is not functioning the way that it normally is and your amygdala is a mess and your limbic system is a mess and your stress mechanisms are not functioning properly, like thinking about three things you're grateful for is not helping you grow the gray matter that you need to grow in order to be able to use that tool.
1: It's it's unfortunately very true because I've been there too. You're right. And you do kind of say, like, this is BS. Like, am I yeah. really grateful for this pen right now? I'll write yeah. it. <laughs> I'll write it a yeah. hundred times, but right. I'm not feeling that gratitude right now. Sorry. <laughs> you yeah. know? And, so, uh, and that's yeah. how a lot of people feel, right? Especially yes. if you're in that position. But why not do the opposite than you're saying? Why exactly. not put what you're resentful for and kind of, yes. you know, and give that some attention and try to change
2: that, which yeah. will
1: lead probably to more gratitude in the end.
2: At least just notice where the boundaries are. Yeah. That's how you find out where your boundaries are. And there's no better way to do it. And there's, do you know who Gabor Mate is? Yes. The, he's amazing. So for anybody listening, he's an author and a psychologist, psychiatrist or psychologist, I don't remember.
1: I thought it was psychologist, but. Um,
2: either way. Could be off, yeah. Has some really great books. One of them is called When the Body Says No. Another one is Feeding Hungry Ghosts. Um, really powerful work that he's done. And one of the things that he found in research was that when we are faced with a decision and we have to choose between feeling resentment or feeling guilt, we should choose feeling guilt. Hmm. And most of us are choosing feeling resentment. Right. Because we don't want to believe that we're stuck in a position where we're making a decision between like shitty and shittier. Right. But we Never are fun, sometimes. But we are.
1: And that leads oh, to are. even Hawkins' scale of consciousness, understanding yeah. the negativity of things. And guilt's pretty far, but resentment, like, you know, all those it's lower heavier. apathy are, are heavier. This is it, true. It's
2: heavier. You'd rather so be you're... angry,
1: actually, which actually yes. leads to transformation, which is a higher exactly. consciousness level, right?
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So this is a really important thing because once you find out where all those resentments are and you know where your boundaries need to be, what you have to accept is that it's not going to feel good to make them. And you're probably going to feel guilty doing it, but guilty. Is a better replacement emotion for resentment, right? You so, need to you,
1: take the small wins there, right, yes, and move yes, up the ladder exactly. into a positive state and just exactly. gratitude and neutrality. Right.
2: That mm-hmm. way, you can use those other tools. So, if you are someone that has been trying to use spiritual tools and the law of attraction and the law of karma and the, all these things, and they're mm-hmm. just you're just not hitting the mark, it's probably because your brain is not primed to be able to do that right now. And you've got to do some trauma processing or some other work to get your brain into a state where it can actually use these tools properly.
1: Right, and, and I, I really do like that because it does put a spin where most people are not accepting the you know attraction factors and the secret was BS to me. I tried it, I wanted a Maserati, it didn't show up the next day, right? It's <laughs> like, oh, well, that's not exactly how it works, but okay. But maybe you should start somewhere where you're just building out of a very low level of consciousness and taking steps, right? It's yes. not overnight. It's not yep. linear either. You'll have a lot of doubt creep in. You'll go yep. back and forth, right? Yep. But moving in the right direction, taking yes. that one step at a time. And I think what you mentioned there with the resentment uh, journal is really fabulous. Now, a lot of people that are dealing with burnout also are dealing with unhealthy coping mechanisms whether that is addiction, you turn to drugs, you turn to alcohol, sex, whatever it may be. Are there any things, any any kind of techniques or or advice you have for ridding yourself of those unhealthy coping mechanisms?
2: The only way to do it is to unwind them, right? Mm -hmm. And in Chinese medicine, there is a belief that when you are sort of kind of in the window between 35 and 45, the coping mechanisms that you created as a child end up costing you more money more energy than they are saving you Mm. at that point so you created them they were useful they protected you when you were in your household they did all the things that they needed to do but now all these years later in your life you're using the same coping mechanisms but they are not helping you the way that they always did so the people pleasing is costing you more than it ever did before in your life the overgiving is costing you more than it ever did in your life these mechanisms that we are are sometimes the good ones right like the the being nice person is costing you more energy than it ever did before in your life because it's not the way you need to be functioning in today's world so the first thing to do and is to realize what they are so i asked a patient recently if she um what her like bad coping mechanisms were and she was like i don't have any and i was like oh girl (laughs) (laughs) yes you do and she but she didn't realize what it meant and when i started to explain it She ended up being able to break it down for you. And people pleasing is a major coping mechanism. Right. Right. We don't think about it as a coping mechanism. We don't think about it in those terms, but it is. So if you can start to just figure out what your natural reaction is in moments where you feel like you need to protect yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. And and, yeah, go ahead.
2: And you recognize what they are and you start to see a pattern then you can begin to unwind that pattern. But I honestly believe, even though I'm a coach and I love coaching and I think it's very powerful, I honestly believe that very often this is something that you should be in therapy for or working with, especially with a trauma-informed therapist. Because sometimes to unwind these things, you need an outside perspective that is very highly qualified to help you do that.
1: Absolutely. And this is a, a part where people can't feel any shame in doing this and going to a therapist. It's incredibly important. Listen, if you want to get truly fit, you're probably going to sign up to a gym, you're going to get a personal trainer, you're going to do a lot of work, all these things. Why would you not do the same for something like this? Because this is your health. This yes. is longevity. This is actually yes. stopping disease before it becomes the chronic, the cancers of the world, all of these things, right? Yes. So yes. you should really be putting your time and effort and money, everything to make yeah. sure that doesn't happen, and going to the right proper people to the therapists to all the coaches out there and different medical professionals that can help you um, what What are some of the the things that you are doing on a daily basis to ensure you don't become burned out
2: so one of the things that you said earlier um, in the episode was really important. You said that you have rituals mm-hmm. and rituals in Chinese medicine are said to calm the heart, Beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Which is so lovely. It's such a lovely way to think about it and such a lovely way to do it. And I realized that one of my big issues in my work was that, I was always, I, I'm really good at getting back to people on email and it's something that I'm sort of proud of. And also I had to realize that I didn't have to always immediately write back when I was not in the office with patients. or when I was not on a call with a coaching client or whatever it happens to be. So, um, I just lost my train of thought.
1: The rituals that you have.
2: Oh yeah. So for me, Having rituals that are built into my day are totally necessary, but I am not a very um, one-two-three black-white organized person. Mm -hmm. So I do not. The only ritual I have first thing in the morning is drinking a full glass of water, full Mm -hmm. like pint of water. That's the only one I have. But I do intersperse during the day when I'm starting to feel a little bit of overwhelm, or when my mind starts going too much, or when I realize that I've looked at my phone seven times in a row for no good reason. Then I go over to meditation or Mm -hmm. to yoga or to whatever it happens to be. And I perform my rituals in that way. I use rituals as a way to break up my day when I notice overwhelm.
1: Yeah. And if I could add to that, because one of the things I've heard from people is I can't meditate. I've tried it so many times. I can't do this. Right. Whatever. I, I find that's a little bullshit too, but, uh, you know you can if you wanted to but at the same time find things that bring you joy there yes. are things there right for me i remember i grew up i played tennis then i stopped in college and afterwards i was too busy couldn't find anything and when i started to feel burnout like years ago i remember going to you know spiritual gurus about all these different people to try and get help which is what people do go to other people instead of looking inside and the same thing kept coming up it's like do things that bring you joy You know, stop worrying so much. So I pick tennis back up and honestly to me that's like meditation. Right. I get on the court at least once a week. I play for an hour at least and I just zone out. I feel good. I let it all go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No emails, no nothing,
1: right? Yeah. And and you have to find your own. I'm not saying tennis, is it for everyone? Not everyone play, but what is it to you? Is it crocheting? Is it, you know, playing piano? Is it learning a new language maybe? that yeah. you really wanted to, and just spending 15 minutes on Duolingo, or whatever, and going yeah. through that, right?
2: Yeah, But yes, finding absolutely. that
1: time to do things that bring you joy, because that is the best, I think, stress reducer that isn't, Put on you that isn't you must do this for f- yeah. you have to go to the gym. I hate the gym. You know?
2: Yeah, so, yeah. I totally agree that? with that. Yeah. I totally agree with that, and I do think that when you have um, someone who has uh, trauma, serious trauma, PTSD, etc., the chances that they'll be able to meditate are low.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I I don't think that their brains actually can do that very well. So I always I give an exercise very often that's called unweirding meditation. I like that. And the only thing it involves is choosing a song that you love i don't care if it's heavy metal or kirtan chanting choose a song that you love that's approximately three-ish minutes in length put your headphones on close your eyes and breathe listen to the song and breathe that's it and when it's over shut it off and be done because This is something that helps us to activate that parasympathetic nervous system that you were saying, right? Mm -hmm. Being present, being mindful, and breathing. Those three things are absolutely paramount to activating the parasympathetic nervous system, and it only takes a few minutes. So if I can get you to listen to heavy metal for three minutes and that's going to help your body slow down, wonderful. Like, I don't need you to be – I can't even sit in lotus position. Like, it's my – my hips do not do that. So. (laughs) And it's never going to happen, so I don't sit in lotus position every day and like chant my life away. Sometimes I'm putting on you know Madonna and just sitting there and listening,
0: yeah,
1: and that could seriously activate your parasympathetic right? yeah, because I mean, it's, it's what it's not feels not good yeah. to me
2: to my yeah. body yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that that's the biggest thing, right? When people are like, "How do you meditate?" I'm like, you know. Sometimes I do just put on a nice song, just sit there, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, that's not meditation. I'm like, it is to me. It is. Are you going to really debate me on this? <laughs> you know, and I've been to like Tibetan mindfulness meditations where it's serious. Your eyes yeah. are open. Like you can't move. And I was like, not for me, man. I was like yeah. crying. I'm like, I can't do this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna like, it either.
1: This is painful. It's like, it's supposed to be right. Yeah. And, and the Lama was just sitting up there for like hours. I'm like, oh, wow.
2: This yeah, is, that's this torture. Is a, this is like,
1: interesting, but I will never do this again. <laughs>
2: yeah, this is, that is pure torture to me.
1: Right, and to others also. And that's okay, because yeah. it's not for you. You didn't grow exactly. up in Tibet to be a Buddhist, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, and there's no shame in that. Don't think right. you have to suddenly go into a state of enlightenment your first time, closing your eyes, trying to meditate. That's right, cool. Just breathe, right? Just take a deep breath, start there, and keep going. See what happens. So exactly. I I don't think you have to be so strict with it as most people are, and then give it up when they can't suddenly, you know, feel a a big light over them within a few minutes.
2: Yeah. Sometimes I meditate first thing in the morning, sometimes I do a guided meditation before bed. Sometimes it's the middle of the day, and I think I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm gonna sit for a few. I mean, I do not have a set time. And I'm probably never going to because as soon as I have a set time, it makes me feel anxious.
1: Right. And that, that could trigger, you know, all yeah, that energy burnout. So, yeah, yeah, it's not useful. No, it, it is. It's really about getting to know yourself, but also having these techniques at your disposal, what works for you. So, right. I do say try them out. You know, if yeah, you want to go with the guided meditations, the inscapes and headspaces of the world, try yeah. a muse thing if you want. Like for me, it wasn't really necessary, but I liked it too. I understand right. how some people would get down with that and find yep. it very useful. Me too. Other things are just do breathing exercise. Just a deep breath. Don't even worry about the like chanting or job. You don't need to count. You don't right. 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 Just breathe in, breathe out. That alone will trigger your parasympathetic. Exactly. Exactly. Are you taking any supplements on a daily basis to try and cope with adaptogens? Anything out there?
2: I drink uh, mud water every day. Okay. So you go into
1: that a little more for the people that.
2: Um, mud water is a like chai, flavored ish drink that's made out of powder and it is full of adaptogens and adaptogens are herbs that increase your stress resilience basically right. they help you adapt to stress that's why they are called adaptogens right so have, the Rhodesia,
1: yeah, all of that. yeah
2: yeah yeah so i think this one is cordyceps ashwagandha reishi lion's mm-hmm. mane cacao and there's cinnamon and something else in it right Ginger, probably. Um, So I have that on a daily basis. That's Mm -hmm. just a normal part of my day. I also take vitamin D Mm -hmm. Um, in liquid form. I take um, Mm omega-3s. Right now, I'm taking quercetin because I have that histamine thing going on, but that's not something that I take on a regular basis. That's just something that's happening probably for the next month or so until I clear all that out. And those are the things I take in the morning with my breakfast. And at night, I take um, methylated B12 Mm -hmm. and a probiotic and that's it.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a simplicity to it, but you're covering a lot of bases there, right? Yeah. I will say you want to keep it as simple as possible. Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't be taking hundreds of pills or or things like that. Also adapt, right? You don't need to be taking things all. It's supposed to be a supplement to supplement you.
2: In exactly. times
1: of high stress, maybe take something else. Going to, you take know more mag,
2: Take more magnesium in times of high yeah, stress. Yeah, because
1: that, be. that's another one. It's usually the simple things. People are yeah. trying to find the next big thing out there. It's like your like, body really needs minerals, yeah. nutrients, right? Yeah. Not the crazy new thing that no one's ever heard of. And, and a lot of times your body is going to be going through those minerals, which are building blocks of cells in a sense, yeah. much quicker when we are leading to burnout. And then right. you'll just be depleted and and new nutritional deficiencies come up. Yes. Are there any books you'd recommend uh, that pertain to burnout or just health in general?
2: There is a book on burnout called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, which is written by the Nagoski sisters that mm. really, 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 really explains well the entire stress cycle and what animals and people have done over the centuries and millennia to end this stress cycle. One of their theories that they put forward in the book is that we're stuck in the stress cycle and we're just not ending it ever. Like We're not Mm -hmm. making it stop and that we need to learn how to go through the full range of emotion and end the stress cycle so that we can get back to real life. So I really enjoy their book. I think that it's really powerful and I think that it explains things that most people have not thought of in that way before. So I think that that's a really good one. And then, of course, you know, everybody, by the time this is out, I'll be, um, maybe the the ebook will be ready, but probably not yet. But soon, you will be able to buy The Bounce Back Ability Factor, where I go through, it's sort of, you know, my story mixed in with some of my patients and some of my clients, mm -hmm. and a series of seven reasons why we burn out most frequently, according to me. And then a whole series of what happens in the body, what happens in the brain, and how we choose to change and heal. And then a whole extra section that is an exercise or two for each of the reasons that we burn out so that you can go to, well, this is probably my primary reason for burning out. And then you can go and there are a series of exercises that you can do particularly for that reason. So it's set up in a way to give you that not only is this problem happening, but these are the solutions that you can use
1: very cool i'm sure that'll be an amazing resource for most people uh, as I can't again wait. we all do yeah that, that's cool let me let me throw something out here because it okay. came up in my mind and it's going to yes. be a little weird and all right that's okay i, like I want to hear because you, you mentioned the first book about cycles of, you know getting out of stress almost all mammals hibernate at a certain time right yeah. i've always thought it's very strange that we keep up right all throughout the year our same level We stay up as late, where in the summer, of course, we probably, especially if we're we're a higher level in the northern hemisphere, southern as well, we know that there are longer days, shorter days. We know that our body's hormones are triggered by that. And we see in nature is the best example of health, I all say, are animals that just hibernate for the winter. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about, and I threw this out there and people look at me like I'm crazy, but like maybe not going into a cave and literally sleeping the whole winter but slowing it way down in the winter, taking a little more time off, going to sleep earlier, staying, you know even changing maybe the work schedule around. How do you feel about that? Is that I'm crazy? I'm really,
2: <laughs> really glad that you said that. And I don't think it's crazy at all. Every acupuncturist that you have will ever talk to will have a very strong opinion on this because this is very closely related to Chinese medicine because mm-hmm. Chinese medicine works with the seasons. Mm-hmm. According to Chinese medicine, in the winter, you should sleep more, eat more, do less.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Very simple. Yeah. Sleep more, eat more, do less. That's it. That's it. Be healthier. Yes. That <laughs> is the outcome, w- right? And that you will naturally be healthier as an outcome. Yeah. And it's, this is- it's very much a part of our medicine and it is very... Yeah like obvious to us that the body when the body has to deal with all the cold even if you're just walking across the street your body has to deal with that it takes extra energy like this is it's a a very simple thing to understand i feel like and most people once they're given the permission Mm -hmm. will allow themselves to slow down a bit once when i tell this to patients they're like oh okay yeah. I, like, oh, no, I, didn't, I didn't realize I could do that. I'm like, here's a permission slip. I'm going to sign it. Do less this winter. I think that's an absolutely necessary part that we should really take advantage of. And in the summer, when we're eating more watermelon and cucumber and all these mm-hmm. really light foods, we should use that young energy to sort of create things that we want and do things that we want and really go for it.
1: And in that way, create a balance, right? Of, of course. resting and activation, of course, parasympathetic, yep. sim, everything, in-breath, out-breath, yep. the way the world yin-yang. works, yin-yang, of course, and in traditional Chinese medicine, that's a movement I'd be so behind. <laughs> and again, for me, when I really look at everything and go into medicine more and health, it all comes back to how can we really support nature? and and what we are under the influence at all times, the more we get away from it, the more unnatural things we expose ourselves to, the sicker we are. Yeah. So look to nature for the answers. Yeah. And when I look to nature, I look at all mammals, almost all mammals that are near what we are experiencing, you know, in the seasons, yeah. they hibernate, right? Yeah. And, and it, to me, it's just like, it, it makes sense, slow down. I mean, the sun isn't out, what are you Even trying to do? Even my dog
2: sleeps more in the winter. Yeah.
1: I mean, animals get it. We're the only animal that goes against that, and I think we suffer and one of the you know, one of the ways is burnout. that's what we do to ourselves now, you have a podcast all about burnout I what do. What has that taught you how, how how you know you got that started a little while ago. Tell us about that and share that and kind of what some of the insights you've learned while creating that podcast
2: fried the burnout podcast is my favorite thing that I've ever done. And I'm hoping that the book will turn into my next favorite thing that I've ever done. (laughs) I was not expecting it to be, um, so well received and to grow so quickly and to be such a big deal, but it is becoming a very big deal and I'm very proud of it. And talking to people every week on the podcast about their burnout stories brings me down to some really core information. Self-worth is always an issue with burnout. Mm -hmm. Like this, we could talk about the nutrients that we need all day long, but if we do not find a way to allow you to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am worthy of healing and I deserve to feel good, we're never gonna get there. This is paramount to everything. I think that's really big one. And the other thing that I've noticed that I, I kind of knew from my acupuncture patients and coaching clients over the years, but it wasn't so in my face as it was until I heard it constantly on the podcast when we're people are really getting into burnout and kind of deep into it. We're wishing for death. Mm -hmm. We're wishing for hospitalization. We are desiring car accidents and cancer diagnostics because we need a break and we don't know how to give ourselves one. And so what I want, the reason that I say it and the reason that I think this is so important is because if this is the way that you're feeling, what you need to hear right now is that you can shift your life to be gentler to yourself. If you're feeling that extreme, chances are you're burnt out. And if you don't make a decision to heal now, you will end up with one of those problems that you're wishing for. Mm -hmm. Right. But I heard time and time again on the podcast, I was crawled up on the floor in fetal position, crying my eyes out. I was in my car and I was hoping to, I was thinking about veering off the road suddenly and crashing into a tree because even if I didn't die, at least I'd be in the hospital for a few months and I wouldn't have to do anything. I've, I mean, I hear these stories constantly. I don't want you to wait for that breaking point to choose to heal anymore.
1: Right. Now, that's, that's wonderfully put because I feel like so many people do wait. And unfortunately, yeah. that breaking point, it's hard to come back from that point, right? Yes. It's, you've, you reach a pretty low point and to, to climb back out of it is going to take a lot of effort. Yes. And if you could stop it before it gets there, it's not going to be as hard. So if and you that's have what we those things going disease. on in
2: your head now, talk yeah. to somebody like yesterday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Take action, right? Because yeah. health is wealth, is the most precious thing. We and it have. can be
2: dealt with. Like we I know how to do this. I have whole systems on how to deal with this. Like we can handle it. We right. can fix it. But there. you you're probably not going to do it on your own without shifting some of the mindset and some of the health and some of the some of the.
1: Absolutely. No, I agree with you 100%. And that's why I'm so you know, glad you're doing what you're doing, especially for something that I think is uh, underappreciated, undertalked about, um, dismissed too often, right? There's almost this, this kind of um, uh, arrogance, I feel like, among a lot of people that I'll push through it. I, you know, I don't need help. You know, this yeah. is what people do. They sacrifice this. Like no, Yeah. So no, they no. try
2: to fix burnout alone. Burnout is one of those things that is not aloneable. Like well, that's the support. thing.
1: I think burnout sometimes is exacerbated by that feeling of loss of connection, no yeah. relationships with people, yeah. right? Yeah. That That's yes. a big one too, is Massive. isolation leads to burnout.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because, well, if you're, the second sign, according to Maslow's inventory, right, is cynicism and detachment. Mm-hmm. If you're detached, how are you going to be in your community? How are you going to have those relationships? You're not.
1: Yeah, 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 very true. So where can we uh, find out more about you? I mean, you got the book coming out, you got the podcast, you're busy. What else is out there? Where can we learn more about Caitlin Donovan?
2: Well, if you're in New York City, I would love to be your acupuncturist, (laughs) which is awesome. My office is uh, in Midtown at 32nd and Broadway. Um, And if you need me otherwise, then I do a lot of things online. I do corporate wellness and you can find everything you need under the umbrella at katedonovan.com.
1: Well, thank you so much. Everyone should go check that out and, and learn more about this. And I say, if you're feeling any twinge of burnout, and you probably are, look into this stuff, read about it, empower yourself, build your awareness, and then react to it so you don't lead into a true state of burnout and chronic disease. So thank you for bringing this to light and all the work you're doing. I know we're on a very similar path here and looking forward to connecting again.
2: Yeah, this was really great. I'm so grateful for this conversation. And I love talking to people that get it so that we can go a little bit deeper and talk about things that maybe wouldn't come up in other podcasts and other conversations because of different just knowledge levels. So I'm really happy to have these conversations with somebody who really gets it. And I'm so thrilled that we'll be recording your episode for a soon.
1: Oh, I'm thrilled for that too, because I, I gotta go to one. Yes, I get it. From from the Polish background to the entrepreneur perfectionist INFJ, like I'm gonna share a lot on that one. So if you're listening to this right now, you haven't heard that one, jump over. I get to share this because that's gonna be fun. <laughs> well, thanks again, Caitlin. Talk to Thank soon. you. The scary thing about burnout, as you've learned in this episode, is that it's widespread and you may not even realize you're dealing with it. It's one of those invisible threats that we don't take seriously until it's too late. It becomes a way of life, our new norm, but one that slowly leads us down a path towards chronic disease. But on the positive side, you have complete control to stop it and live a life full of vitality and health. That's what Caitlin's on a mission to accomplish. And she's offering a great course right now called The Master Your Energy Class at a reduced price for listeners. It'll help you identify and fix all energy leaks in your life and reclaim the power to create the life you want. We've included a link directly to that course in our podcast page on InnovativeMedicine.com, so check that out. Until next time, stay healthy and happy and continue to write your own healing story.